Well, good morning, and uh, thank you, worship team. Uh, Before we dive into our text this morning, let's just take a moment and quiet our hearts before the Lord. Father, you are in heaven and we are here on earth. Lord, you are almighty, sustainer, creator, the holy, holy, holy God. And Lord, we just humbly pause and quiet ourselves now. And Lord, we acknowledge that that we need to behold you to be changed. So we invite you now, Father, send the Holy Spirit to impress the word deep into our hearts, that we would see Christ, and in beholding him, that we would have a life everlasting. Oh Lord, I pray now that as I open your word, God, that only words that are true of you, Lord, would remain. Lord, transform us by degree of glory to the next, for your name's sake and for our good. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, good morning, Redeemer City family. And, and those watching online. Now, it's funny, because six months ago, I wouldn't have had to introduce myself, but Redeemer is blossoming, right? And that's a good thing. And I'm looking out at some faces here, and I don't know all your names, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Matt Scarlett, and my wife Krista is sitting over there, and uh, she's often greeting by the front door, so I'm sure you've met her. But it is a joy to be with you today, and uh, this morning I want you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 15. We're going to be finishing our summer psalm series. Now, as you are finding that in your Bible, I just want you to think about what the most important questions are. What are the questions that you think about when you're lying in bed and you can't sleep? What are the questions you think about when you get up first thing in the morning? Maybe there, maybe there are questions about how the heck are we going to solve the poverty issue? Or how are we going to solve the mental health crisis? Or how are we going to pre- prevent a World War III from occurring? Or maybe there are questions that hit closer to home. Like, are you a good father? Are you a good husband? Are you a good wife? Are you a good mother? Maybe it's relating to your business. Is it thriving? Are you doing well? Are you handling your money well? You know, these are all good questions. They're all good questions to ask. They're important. But the most important questions, the most important questions are those which direct, are directly related to who God is and who we are in relation to Him. Those are the most important questions. And if we're honest, friends, they're the most neglected, aren't they? Far too often we are consumed by lesser things. A.W. Tozer famously said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you believe that? Because I do. And I think if, if that is true, then you and I need to spend more and more and more time pausing, reflecting, and meditating on who God is and who we are into relation, in relation to him. But the good news is, friends, is that we're not the first to, be, to need to be reminded of this. And this morning, as we dive into Psalm 15, it's going to help steer us back, steer the ship back on course, and reorient us 
to ask the most important questions. Do you feel like you need that today? Lots of you sent kids back to school this week. Do you feel like you just need to get your eyes fixed on the most important things? I know I do. I need the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God and to apply it to my wandering heart and mind. So with these things in mind, friends, hear now from the holy, timeless, inerrant, and living Word of God. Psalm 15, a psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we started out this morning by asking, what are the most important questions? What should be dominating our mind? And judging by this sum, how do you think King David would have answered this? He would have said, that's easy. The biggest question is this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? O Lord, who shall dwell on your holy hill? Right? For, for David, again, David was a godly man. He's, he was called a man after God's own heart. And for this man, the most important thing, the thing that drove him crazy was the thought, how could anybody be considered worthy to stand in the presence of the almighty God of Israel? What would the criteria even be to stand before him? And how, how could anybody ever measure up to it. Have you ever wondered that? Has this question ever kept you up at night like it would have kept King David up? Well, it was the burning, it was the burning question in his mind, and God in his provision has provided this wonderful little psalm to help answer this all-important question. Who shall dwell on God's holy hill? And first, we see that it is those who are blameless. Look with me again to verses 1 to 2 to see this. David says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. The only people who can dwell on the Lord's holy hill are those who walk blamelessly before him. Now, what does it mean to walk blamelessly? Does it mean to do, just do a pretty good job at life? No. David is envisioning someone who lives a perfect, perfect life. The disposition of this person's heart towards both God and man is always, always pure. They not only love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but they love their neighbor as themselves. Always. They are blameless before God, and they're blameless before others. Right? This is the person whose integrity cannot be questioned. Can't be questioned. They're never guilty of hypocrisy. The accusation of being two-faced would never stick, for they are consistently blameless. This person's actions are always flowing out of a pure heart as well. 
And friends, David, he wanted to convey this idea because if you want to be in the presence of God, mere niceness is not going to cut it. Niceness will not do. The appearance of blamelessness will not do because God sees right through appearances. He sees the heart and he searches the mind. And we see this very thing played out in the Old Testament. And sadly, it seems like we see it more often than not because Israel failed to be blameless before God. The pattern was this. They would walk with God, and then they would begin to stumble, and they would continue to offer sacrifices. They would continue to offer worship to God. They would continue to fast. But they would do this with impure hearts. Their actions looked good from the outside. They looked good to people. But in fact, they were stemming from impure hearts. And God was not pleased. And it led God to rebuke his people. Hear what he said through the prophet Isaiah. He says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. The blameless person that King David is talking about is never guilty of this hypocrisy. Their good works are always flowing out of a pure, a heart of pure worship to their God. Because to God, good and pure hearts must be the ultimate driving force behind our good works. You know, King David saw this. And Jesus confirmed it on the Sermon on the Mount. He said these famous words, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the person who shall stand on the Lord's holy hill. The one who is perfectly blameless. The one who has a pure heart in all they do, both towards God and towards their fellow man. Now you ask, why is the bar so high? Why is it so high? Because our God is himself perfectly blameless. Because our God is perfectly holy. He's perfectly righteous. He's praised all day long in heaven. Holy, holy, holy. That's what the angels say about him. He is greater than anything we could ever imagine. And friends, it's no light thing to try and stand before our God. Because before our God... All of our hypocrisy, our two-faced tendencies, and impure actions are exposed. And they bar us from the holy presence of our almighty God. David continues to answer the question, who shall dwell on the hill of the Lord? First, it's those who are blameless. And secondly, it is those whose speech is pure. Look with me to verse 2 to 3 to see this. David says this, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Those who dwell on the holy hill of the Lord are those whose speech is always, always pure. They are slow to speak. They think before they speak. They know when not to speak. One commentator puts it this way. These people, they they speak the truth from their heart. 
They do not deceive. What they say represents what they truly think. But they do not necessarily say everything that is on their mind either. You see that these pure people, these people whose speech is pure, are always speaking the truth right from the bottom of their hearts. They are always sincere in every word they speak. They have never gossiped. They have never complained. They have never slandered anyone. They have never made a dirty joke. And they have never used their tongue as a sword to bring someone down. Their speech is always pure. Matthew Henry, a famous Bible commentator, put it this way. He says, this person knows the worth of a good name, and therefore he backbites not, defames no man, speaks evil of no man, makes not others false the subject of his common talk, much less of his sport and ridicule, nor speaks of them with pleasure, nor at all but for edification. That's a high bar, isn't it? That's a high bar, isn't it? My friends, why do you think God draws our attention to this particular quality? Why is it so important that our speech is pure? It's because, friends, our words reflect what's on the inside of our heart. Remember what Jesus said? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Your speech is the litmus test for what's really going on inside of you. If there's gossip in your heart, friend, eventually it's going to come out in your speech. If there's jealousy and envy in your heart, at some point you will be slandering and bashing your coworker to your friends, to your family, to your boss, to your coworkers. Haven't you experienced this? Haven't you driven home shaking yourself saying, "Why couldn't I just keep my mouth shut during lunch hour? Why did I have to engage in that silly conversation?" Why did I speak that way about my boss, about my friend? Maybe you're saying, why did I share that prayer request? I know it was in the name of gossip that I did that. That person told me to be quiet about that, but I opened my big mouth. Why? We have failed time and time again with our speech. We've fallen short of this high bar that David sets, or forgive me, that God sets. But this ideal worshiper that David speaks of is marked by no such speech. Their speech is always pure, it's always thoughtful, and it always builds up. Thirdly, who shall dwell on the Lord's holy hill? It's those who love what God loves. Look with me to verse 4 to see this. It is the person, David says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised but who honors those who fear the Lord. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. That's strong language, isn't it? That's some strong language. And David uses that because this is a very important point. Right? Those who shall dwell on the Lord's holy hill are those who love the truth and hate wickedness. The righteous person here in this text is unafraid to call a wicked and a vile act just that. A wicked and a vile act. Strong language it is, but we have New Testament parallel passages just like it. Look with me to Ephesians 5, verse 11 to 12. Paul says to the church, take no part 
in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Paul's telling the church, hate the wicked and evil deeds done by those who profess to love and follow Jesus. Call a spade a spade. Because to dwell in the presence of the Lord demands a singular devotion to the truth. Which means hating that which contradicts it. You know, reading the psalm, you can imagine, or I can imagine, David alluding to a, to a wicked Israelite who was robbing the already poor, taking advantage of the desperate, willing to flatter, deceive, take advantage of others, bend the truth, bend the word of God in order to get ahead. Instead of attempting to follow the God of Israel like they should have, this wicked person was giving themselves over to the very things that God hates. Instead of being devoted to the truth, they were devoted to wickedness. And what was the only proper response to this? Well, for David, it was simple. The wickedness had to be called out. It had to be condemned. One commentator named Derek Kidner, he puts it this way. What looks at first pharisaical in verse 4 is in fact no more than loyalty. This, not, this man is not comparing himself with others, but giving his vote. Catch this. Declaring what he admires and where he stands. That's helpful, isn't it? What David is saying is that the, the righteous person who's going to dwell on the holy hill of the Lord is no fence sitter. Their convictions aren't shifting as the culture goes. They're bound, they're firm, because they're rooted in the word of God. What God approves, they approve. What God desires, they desire. And just as important, what God hates, they hate. This person isn't sitting on the couch, giving his attention to entertainment that laughs at sin. He doesn't sit back quietly in the face of injustice. He doesn't edit the Bible to try to conform God's preferences to his. He loves what God loves, and he hates what God hates. As Paul says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. The person who shall dwell on the Lord's holy hill is the one who loves and rejoices with the truth. The one who loves what God loves. Loves what God word, God's word says and hates what God hates. And fourthly, who shall dwell on God's holy hill? It's those who keep their word. Look with me to verse 4 to see this. Who shall dwell on the Lord's holy hill? It is the person in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Right? This blameless, pure in speech, lover of truth is also one who keeps their word faithfully. This is a person who keeps their promises even when it costs them. When things go bad, whether it be a business deal, whether it be in a personal relationship, either way, this person always follows through on what they said they, were, they would do. Even when, friends, when they are on the losing side of the deal, they put themselves as collateral. They are faithful. They keep their word. David uses the language of this. He says, 
These people swear to their own hurt. And John Calvin, I love what he says here. He says, the faithful will rather submit to suffer loss than break their word. The faithful will rather submit to suffer loss than break their word. The person who can stand before their holy God is one who always keeps their word and always keeps their commitments, not only to God, but to those around them. You can count on them. You know, I can imagine David here as he's, as he's writing this psalm, envisioning an Israelite who had made a vow to God, right? Made a promise to God. Maybe they made a vow or a promise to another person. But this person had come under hard times, right? Maybe food was scarce, their land infertile. They didn't have any money to buy anymore. And they were faced with a decision. Do I go back on my vow? Do I turn a blind eye to something in order to get ahead? Do I go back on my word? Have you ever been in that situation? When the allure of a big promotion or a big sale or maybe the opportunity to evade some consequences that you rightfully deserve, the temptation was there to go back on your word. It's always going to be there. This faithful person never goes back on their word. And our God is a faithful God, friends, and he demands that same faithfulness from his people. The blameless person in keeping their word, even to their own hurt, is mirroring their faithful God who never breaks his word. Amen? And then fifthly and lastly, who shall dwell on God's holy hill? It is those who are generous. In verse 5, we hear David say this, the person who shall dwell on God's holy hill is someone who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Not only does this person give in a generous manner, but he will not stoop to gain wealth in an unworthy manner. Money talks, that's true, but for this righteous person, their handling of money is never, ever, ever led by greed. Never. It's never led by an unhealthy craving to get ahead by any means possible. Right? They give freely and generously. They lend fairly. They pay in time, in full and on time. And they don't close their eyes to injustice in order to pad their bank accounts. Again, we ask, why does God care so much about our money? Like why, why is this blameless person? Why does God draw our attention to this characteristic? Well, it's because money, friends, just like our words, reflect what's going on inside of our heart. Jesus put it this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your bank account is what is most important to you, if that's what you love, that's where your heart is. If your business is most important to you, that's where your heart is. Jesus went down or went on to say a few verses later, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
the one who can stand before our holy God is one who has settled in their heart that God is first and always will be. Their financial decisions will be dictated not by what is quickest, easiest, or most lucrative, no, but by what is pure, right, holy before our God. God cares about how we conduct our finances, whether it's our our personal finances, whether it's our business. He also cares about the poor, the vulnerable, or anyone who could be hurt or taken advantage of by one of our actions. It's one thing to be a shrewd businessman, right? God commends that. That's a good thing. But it's another to lie, to cut corners, to deceive in order to get ahead. God demands that his children be marked by generosity. They handle their money in a holy and pure manner. And friends, it is these people, these blameless people, these people whose whose speech is pure, who love the truth, who keep their word no matter what, and who are generous, who will stand on the hill of the Lord. And the psalm ends with the promise that these people will never be moved. Thanks be to God. So, the question, who shall sojourn in the Lord's tent? Who shall dwell on his holy hill? Who can stand in the presence of the Almighty God? Can you? Don't put your hands up. Anybody who thinks they can, don't, please don't put your hands up. Anybody who just listened to those five points, you know that you fail miserably in all of them. Can I? Absolutely not. And friends, I'll just be candid with you. This past week, I love Pastor Levi. He's my best friend. But he, there was a lot of edits I had to make for this sermon, put it that way. And it was probably the most discouraging time I've had in quite a while writing a sermon. But I think that was good for multiple reasons. One, it humbled me. That was good. And Pastor Levi was right in what he saw and what I didn't see. So that's good. But second of all, the Lord was, was showing, my, showing me my weakness. I was reading this psalm, I'm studying it, and I felt how inadequate I am to meet the bar that God has set. Countless times this past week at work, especially the speech thing, oh man, oh man, it just felt like it was just a knife to my heart. There's so many moments when I wanted, I felt the urge to engage in some conversation that I knew would not bring God glory. And praise God, by the Holy Spirit, I was kept from, from engaging in those conversations. But just the fact that the allure was so rich, what does that say? What does that say about me? None of us will ever be good enough. Our deeds will never measure up to God's standard. People in the world will try and preach that to you. Even some people in the church will try and tell you that if you do enough good deeds... If you give enough to the church, you're going to get to heaven, but no. God's standard is just far too high. The bar is perfection. And friends, it's nothing less than perfection. And that means that every single person on the earth is faced with a big problem. Because none of us are ever going to measure up. None of us will ever walk a full day, let alone a lifetime, with thoughts and actions that are utterly pure and blameless before our holy God. Because we are sinners. We are sinners. God is holy. 
He's perfect. He's perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. We couldn't stand in His presence. He is that awesome. We would be decimated. We have all fallen short of the bar of sinless perfection. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. There's one who does hit the mark, who did hit the mark. There's one who we can definitively say lived in such a way that they can ascend, that he could ascend the hill of the Lord and stay there. And that man was Jesus Christ. He was blameless from his first breath to his last. There wasn't a moment when his heart wasn't inclined and fully bent on bringing his father glory. The religious leaders tried to label him a liar, a rebel, a sinner, the prince of demons, but none of it ever held up. He was the innocent sufferer because he was perfectly blameless all of his life. And he never spoke a word that wasn't true. His speech was always pure. Every word that he spoke was sincere. You and I couldn't go a day without speaking a sinful word, but Jesus lived a life with not one sinful or careless word. And Jesus loved what God loved and hated what God hated. He showed compassion to the leper, but he flipped the table of the money changer. He forgave the repentant prostitute, but he rebuked the hypocritical Pharisee. And Jesus kept his word. He was faithful to his word. He came to live, to die, and to rise again for our sins, and that is exactly what he did. When tempted by Satan to take an easier road, what did Jesus do? He stood firm. He was faithful. When he was facing the temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane to bow out, when he was weeping, sweating drops of blood, he remained faithful right to the utter end. He came to save us, and that's exactly what he did. And Jesus was the ultimate picture of the generous one. He who was rich in glory left his heavenly, awesome throne and gave himself up for us. He gave the most costly of gifts. He gave his life for you and I, that we could have riches beyond anything that we could imagine. Friends, this Jesus is the only one who has ever ascended the hill of the Lord. And that is exactly where he is today. After his resurrection, he ascended to the Father, and he is right now seated on his heavenly throne. Friends, there is a man in heaven, and through that man we have access to the presence of the living God. Hallelujah. Listen, friends, are you, are you feeling like you can't measure up? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer. Are you, are you hearing that, that you, you just can't do it on your own? That's what you're supposed to be hearing, by the way. That's what you're supposed to be hearing. Your sin is too great. My sin was too great. I could never measure up. None of us ever could. And this morning, instead of trying to measure up, trying to stack your good deeds one on top of the other, thinking maybe I'll get there, knock them down and look to Christ's merits. Look to Christ. Repent of your sin and place all of your trust in Him, in His perfect life, in His blameless life, and in His sacrificial death on your behalf.
and see Jesus risen from the dead, having secured your salvation and interceding for you, sinner, at the right hand of God. Get your eyes off yourself and look to Christ. And Christian, you've seen him, seen Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit, resolve. Resolve to become more and more like the person in this song. Resolve to resemble your King Jesus, the blameless one. The one who opened the door for sinners like us to be welcomed into the throne room of God. Because friends, the gospel isn't just about what Jesus accomplished for you. It's about what he's going to do in and through you. He promises to make you more and more like himself. And friends, Jesus is always faithful to his word. So strive. Strive hard to look more like Christ. Put the sin that weighs you down. Cast it aside. Cling to righteousness. Strive hard to look more and more like Jesus. Because you were saved not to remain in your sin. You were saved not to remain bound by old sinful habits. No. You were saved to resemble Jesus, the blameless one who ascended the hill of the Lord on your behalf, on my behalf, and is there interceding for us now. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy, you are awesome, you are greatly to be praised, you are worthy of everyone's worship and adoration. And Lord, we feel that we could never measure up. And Lord, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for your word that it brings us low, that in bringing us low, we can look up and we can see Christ, the one who lived in our place, died in our place, and is now at the right hand, your right hand interceding for us. Lord, we ask that you would impress this so deep inside of us that we would not trust any of our good works. And like the Apostle Paul, we would boast in nothing but the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we're trusting, O Lord, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would make us more and more and more like you. For your great glory, for our good. And O Lord, we pray this now in your mighty, saving name. Amen. Worship team.